The Bible can't be a point of reference. The Bible has to be the context of your life because it is the saturation of that truth and the integration of that truth into my life that causes me to respond with God's wisdom to every given set of circumstances in which I find myself. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. In a moment, part two of Crawford's message, Up and Out. Stay with us as he wraps up his multi-week series, His Church, based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Church of Colossae. The messages we feature each week come from Crawford's 15 years as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. But he's been in ministry for over 50 years, and his books include Unshaken, For a Time We Cannot See, and Crawford and his wife Karen recently co-authored the book, Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow. Crawford recently retired from Fellowship Bible Church and now mentors those in Christian leadership through his organization, Beyond Our Generation. Well, today Crawford continues to look at the Apostle Paul's admonition to live a vertical and horizontal life. Both perspectives are needed if we're to be effective in our service to Jesus Christ. Our text is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Let's look at Paul's request to the people of Colossae. He asked them to pray, not necessarily that he would be delivered from his time of bondage in jail, although that certainly would have been his desire, but rather to pray that he would be able to take advantage of an opportunity to share the message of the gospel with those in jail. It's an amazing request for prayer. Let's take a look. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. The most important emphasis in the entire world is what Paul is most concerned about. If none of this other stuff happens, I I don't want to fumble the ball on this one. I don't want to mess this one up. And I'm here on assignment. Would you, would you, would you, would you, would you, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And by the way, by the way, uh, almost every letter that Paul writes, he appeals for people to pray for him. And most of those appeals have to do with the advance and spread of the gospel, whether it is Romans 15, 30, Ephesians 6, 19, 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. All he says, would you pray for me? Now this blows my mind because he's in jail. But you know what he's thinking about in jail, don't you? Philippians chapter 1, he's in jail, and they're asking, well, how you doing, Paul? Paul said, I'm doing great. Yo, dude, are you living in denial? You're in jail. What don't you do great? No, I'm doing wonderful. You see, here's what's happening. These guards have to watch me. And as they're watching me and they're close to me, I'm actually writing you today, and they're looking at me, what are you writing, Paul? You know, there's a church at Philippi. You know what the word church means? Yeah, these group of people at Philippi, and they're important to me. You know why they're important to me? Because they believe what I believe. Let me tell you what I really believe. And these guards are getting, they're giving their lives to Jesus. Well, who was held captive? So Paul continues, he said, will, will, will you pray for me? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to blow this. I don't, I don't want to blow this. Verse 
He wants open doors for the gospel. Paul knew that prayer was the igniting factor in his life and ministry. Don't get it twisted. Prayer is the igniting factor in your life and impact. It is the igniting factor. The greatest gift anybody could ever give to me. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. The greatest gift you could ever give to me is to say to me, Crawford, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you. And the reason why that's the greatest gift is because you're calling on heaven to intervene. The greatest gift you can give to anyone, as I said, is a gift of prayer. But pray for those who are laboring too. Make it part of your daily routine to pray for men and women who are laying their lives down to proclaim and preach the gospel. When you pray for yourself, don't just list your personal needs, although that's very important in these issues. That's very important and stuff like that. That's very important. But pray missionally for yourself that God might use you. Now, he, 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 he talks about, man, verse 4. He says, that I might that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, this is a remarkable to me. Here's the great apostle Paul. His letters would become books of the Bible. He has established all these churches. He is a brilliant man. He is beyond articulate. And what does he pray for? I don't want to mess up the gospel. This message is so important. I want to make sure it's clear. I want to know what I want people to know what it is, and I don't want to fumble about it. I don't want to distract people from my Savior. I want my articulation to match up with the purity of the gospel. So you pray that I'm clear. Because this is what matters most. It's my Savior. So quickly, there's the vertical side. If we want a compelling Christianity, it's beyond cool. It has to do with being tapped into power. But we have to pay the price. And that's disciplined prayer. But secondly, so, so we tap into his power. But number two, he says, in verses 5 and 6, we live his plan. In other words, we commit ourselves to living lives of gospel influence. We commit ourselves to living lives of gospel influence. Here's where most of us as followers of Christ, we blow it. We compartmentalize our lives. We think my walk with Christ is this, and this is my profession over here. But what Paul is saying in these verses is know that all of our lives, every bit of our lives, every bit of our lives is the arena by and through which the gospel should be seen. We're here and we're thrust out into the world to influence the world with our Savior and for our Savior. 
You, you know, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus makes a statement. I notice the verb to be. I get a little frustrated when I hear people preach on this text, and, 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 and they, they, they talk about salt and light is what we need to become. That's not the verb to be there. It doesn't say salt and light is what we need to become. Salt and light is a declaration of our identity. What are you talking about? Notice what Jesus says. He says, you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Once we come to Christ, the identity assumption is that your whole life is gospel influence. We try to remind our kids of this as they were growing up, all of them. I, you know, I pick on our youngest one, Holly. She is a, she is a wonderful physician, uh, very bright, always have been gifted uh, intellectually, mother's side of the family, um, all of that stuff. But I remember as she was going off to undergrad school and, and uh, heading in this medical direction, I, I'd say, sweetheart, we're very proud of you, grateful to God for how you're applying yourself. You're very, very bright. But I want you to understand something, honey. I want you to understand something, honey. Uh, your ultimate objective is not to be a good or great physician. Your ultimate objective is to be God's person in that profession. You are to represent and have gospel influence. God is using the medical profession as a platform for that influence. We need to raise our children to think that, but some of us need to think that way. And so now he goes through, okay, okay, there's this vertical attachment, the power. How is this to be lived out? Outward. So verse 5 talks about how we then should live, how we live. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Again, remembering who the customer is. Who do we walk in wisdom toward? Not just believers. Now, it's important to be around believers, but we are not ultimately God's primary audience. Who do we demonstrate the gospel to? One another as Christians? No, we walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. The word walk is peripatel, the same word that he used over in Colossians chapter 1. It has to do with lifestyle, uh, the way you live. You're to walk in wisdom. Now, I think the term wisdom here is, is broad in its implication. I think it is the summation of revealed truth. It is the truth of this word. In other words, he says, the authority of your life is the wisdom of God. The authority and weightiness of your life is the wisdom of God. That's the reason why you've heard me say this here before. The Bible cannot simply be a point of reference to you. The amount of biblical illiteracy that's even in this church well, let me just say it, it's appalling. The Bible can't be a point of reference. The Bible has to be the context of your life because it is the saturation of that truth and the integration of that truth into my life that causes me to respond with God's wisdom to every given set of circumstances and context in which I find myself.
And we become a portrait of God's wisdom to a watching world. Walk in wisdom toward who? Those who are outside. Those who are outside. We want them to be attracted to the God we love. We want our lifestyles to be winsome and not a hindrance to the gospel. We want that more than anything else. And then there's this line, make the best use of our time. And that expression he means by that, it's like, look, look, this is urgent. This is urgent. Why are you here? Why are you here? Make the best use of it, Crawford. Uh, Paul would say, he goes into more uh, explanation of this over in Ephesians 5, 16 and 17. He says, uh, 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 look carefully then how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. What's the import of the expression, because the days of evil? Well, it's a contrasting reality. He's saying, look, look, look. You walk as wise and you make the best use of your time because this evil world needs to see the contrast to their sinfulness. Not in some arrogant, self-righteous way, but in a very sweet, incarnational way. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. You know, in the early part of the 20th century, right here in Atlanta, uh, one, of the, one of the great Christian pastors and leaders and one of the most articulate preachers of all time, his name was William Houghton. He pastored the Baptist Tabernacle right here in Atlanta. Now, this is a true story. Houghton comes to Atlanta, and later on he would become the president of Moody Bible Institute. Houghton comes to Atlanta, and he's preaching, and what an incredible preacher he was. And so this businessman uh, sits in, in the congregation and hears him preach a couple of times and says, yo, this dude is too good to be true. I mean, the eloquence and the truth that he was preaching and all of this. So much so, and the businessman wasn't a follower of Christ at the time. This guy, true story, he went and hired a private investigator. So he hires this private investigator to follow Dr. Houghton around for several weeks. At the end of following Houghton around for several weeks, he comes back. And he says to the man hiring him, says, uh, yo, dude, it's true. This guy's private life matches up to what he preaches. And the rest of the story is, is that the businessman gives his life to Christ. Now, listen to me. I wonder if a private investigator followed us around for several weeks. Would he see that we were walking in wisdom toward those who are outside? Would there be a dissonance? No, Paul's not talking about perfection here. But he's talking about the credibility of our witness. It goes beyond words. It's the eloquence of authentic personal transformation. So that's how we should live, then now how we should speak. <laughs> the nature of our speech. Again, not to get granular here, but he says here in verse 6, walk in wisdom. Now, how do you talk to people? How do you talk to nonbelievers? 
How do you talk to them? What do you say to them? Listen to what he says. Let your speech always, now I, I need you to underscore, circle the word always in your Bible. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Again, he's talking about our relationship with unbelievers, those who are not followers of Christ. He says, let your speech always, always, always be gracious. What's the point? There's never an excuse for a nasty Christian. And be very careful now. Don't, don't use, don't use, you know, well, I have the role of a prophet. Don't use it as an, a euphemism and an excuse to pop off and to be nasty. That's a little patronizing nonsense. Always, always be gracious. Now, graciousness does not mean that you don't speak the truth. Graciousness does not mean that you're not clear about what you believe. But graciousness means kindness. Be kind and considerate. Don't be the contentious, angry, smart-aleck Christian. There's too many of them around. Too many of them on Facebook, too many of them tweeting out stuff. And there's just too many smart-aleck Christians who don't understand their little brittle egos, and they call it righteousness, but really is nothing more than their inner bobblehead Pharisee. Don't, don't do that. We need to be kind. We need to be kind. He says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. That's an intentional expression. Don't, don't be so intentionally adversarial and confrontational in your speech. In other words, uh, seasoned with salt, it, it, it implies, let your speech be interesting. Let it be inviting. And I think specifically he had in mind, and remember back then they didn't have refrigeration, and salt was used to purify meat and to preserve it. I think he says, let your words be pure. Let them be redemptive, preserving. No, you can speak the truth, but you can disagree. You can, you can do all that, but you don't have to be nasty. There's never a time for a believer not, it's never okay not to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And don't let this hostile Christian environment out there, these people just discovered social issues 25, 30 years ago, and they're fighting and battling and lobbing grenades. Don't buy into that demeanor. Read the book. We've got to be God-honoring with what we do. And then finally, he says, the result of all this is so that you may know how to answer every person. And what Paul is saying here is that, look, speak relevantly and to their point of need. Seek to understand them and bridge where they are to the hope of the gospel. Is that not what 1 Peter 3.15 is about? But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Then he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's how we, ladies and gentlemen, become compelling 
Christians. But if you want to be a compelling follower of Christ, it's not cheap. Okay? It's not cheap. It's, it, it's not just some little, okay, follow these three, four, five steps. If you do that kind of thing, what you'll, be, you'll become manipulative. You'll become utilitarian. This has got to be honestly a part of our own personal demeanor. Gentleness is not something that you use. Kindness is not something that you use. Gentleness and kindness is something that you are. That's the reason why it begins vertically with prayer. Then it works itself out in how we walk and how we speak. Let's pray that our witness is authentic. Let's pray that the sweetness and the gentleness of Christ by the way, it takes courage to be sweet and gentle. It takes courage. Well, let's pray that the sweetness and the gentleness of our Savior will be about right all over us as a church. That none of us will be known as hostile, nasty Christians. Even though, you know, feel strongly, I feel strongly about my views and about the issues. I'm pro-life all the way and this kind of thing. That doesn't mean that I'm mad at somebody. Let's be genuine and real. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus, he's the one that does all this stuff in our lives. We can't pull this off. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin, and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness, and uh, Lord, I've gotten convicted this week as I read this passage and uh, began to think about my own uh, heart and mind, and sometimes my anger about certain issues, I want to pass it off as righteous indignation when it's nothing more than sinful indignation. And Lord, we pray that you will help us, help us, help us stay tied to your heart, to be persistent and diligent in our praying, to be watchful in it, to do it with thanksgiving, and to allow the Word to uh, invade every nook and cranny of our thinking in our lives and how we approach things so that we can walk in wisdom toward those who need to see a portrait of transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Crawford Lorenz here on Living a Legacy, a powerful message titled Up and Out, looking at the Apostle Paul's admonition to live our Christian lives in a vertical and horizontal way. And both are needed in order to display a compelling life in Christ. And with that, we wrap up our series, His Church, based on our study of Colossians. Now, if this series was meaningful to you, take a few moments this week to let us know. Our goal on Living a Legacy is to see you take that next step in your walk with Christ. But we don't know if that goal is being met if we don't hear from you. So thanks for corresponding with us. To email directly, send to legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. We'd like to remind you that Living a Legacy messages can be heard again on our website, or you can download them to your phone or computer for free. It's difficult to catch every element of Crawford's teaching when you're driving or busy at home, so this is one way to hear complete messages at your convenience. Start with livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thank you for joining us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio. 
a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.